Good morning. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. So we are continuing on our study in the book of Ephesians, and um, we are looking at a subject this morning dealing with work. And you'll see that as we um, read through this passage. So Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Well, the waiter was having a pretty tough day and he started work late, got to work and the uh, uh, couple came in to eat dinner that night And he took them to their table, and uh, as they got towards the table that he was going to seat them at, they go, no, we don't want to sit there. We want to sit over there instead. And he goes, well, that's a table for four, and this is a table for two. We want to sit there. Okay, you can sit there. That's fine. (laughs) And so he took them over to sit there, and he asked them for their drink order, and the wife said, I would like a glass of fresh water. And I want, my le- I want lemons cut on the side, no ice. And the man said, I want a glass of ice water um, uh, with a lemon floating in it. And he goes, got it. So he leaves the table and he goes to uh, get the drinks for them. And as he goes, he is distracted by one of his other tables and then another table. And finally he gets to the, drink, uh, the drinks for him and he brings them back to the table and places them in front of the the couple. And she immediately yells at him and says, that is not what I ordered. She says, I didn't, because what he did is he brought two glasses of ice water with lemons floating in them. And she said, I asked specifically for my lemons to be on the side. And she said, I wanted to have no ice. You've put ice and lemons in my cup. Take it back. And so, you know, everybody in the whole restaurant turns to look at the excitement going on at the table over ice water. And so he takes the cups back, and he gets the proper order together, and he brings it back to the table. At this point, they are uh, ready to, uh, he says, would you like to place an order now for your meal? No, we have to look at the menu. Well, come back to us when we call you. So he's busy with his other tables, and pretty soon, as he's taking an order at another table, the husband raises his hand and starts snapping his finger impatiently, saying, waiter! Waiter, we're ready. Come get our order. And he just motions to them that, you know, he'll be right there. And uh, you can just see the blood pressure rising in this couple. And they're not too happy about the whole thing. And so he finally gets there and and, uh, takes the order. And they issue orders about the way their food is to be cooked. Very precise directions on how the food is to be presented to them. 
He comes back first with their salads, and they take one bite of the salad, and they immediately call him back, and they say, the lettuce is limp. We cannot stand having limp lettuce in our uh, salads. Get us some fresh lettuce. And so he goes back, and he gets another thing for them. You know how the story goes. It keeps going. And so finally, um, he brings the meal to them. And he thought he had it precisely the, the way they wanted it, but they tasted it, and immediately they didn't like the way it was spiced, and they thought it was too cold. And so he took it back to the cook, and he says, look, would you please do this, 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 and this, and get this order right? He's so frustrated, so upset with these people. So the, the cook finally calls him back, says that the order is ready. He goes into the kitchen to get the, the plates for the couple. And before he leaves the closed doors of the kitchen, he takes one look at the food, and he goes, <laughs> in both of them, and he delivers it to their plate. So he spits in the food and delivers it. Now, as I told the story, whose side did you take? The waiter's side? I know what side David took. <laughs> the waiter's side. There are people, you can, you can feel the pain of the waiter with impossible guests. Or you were, were you rooting for the customer who felt like he deserved to be treated with respect? Now, I want you to think about your job. I want you to think about your employment. Which one are you? Are you the waiter or are you the customer? Are you the waiter, an employee who always gets frustrated and angry and chafe under the master over you? Or are you like the customers in the story? When you're at work, you expect everyone to serve you. Maybe you are the boss. Maybe you're a manager. Maybe you act like the customer in this story who is demanding and obnoxious. Which of the two characters best represent you at the workplace? Which one are you? Well, as we consider the subject this morning, I want you to think about whether you are spitting in your boss's lunch. Think about it as we go through this today. First of all, before we get into the passage, I want you to imagine a world very different than the world we currently live in. Um, imagine having no cars, no planes, no trains, no public transportation of any uh, sort. Imagine having no cell phones, TVs, or computers. Picture yourself without any washer, stove, washing machine, dryer, dishwasher, toaster, coffee maker, blender. Think of what life would be like without Safeway. Think of what life would be like without Starbucks or Walmart or shopping malls or hardware stores. Imagine a world where you were raised with 12 other brothers and sisters. You lived in a farmhouse. You raised chickens, ate the eggs each morning. You had cows for milk, pigs for food, and you grow, grew vegetables in the dirt in your own backyard. Yes, children? That's where vegetables grow, in the dirt. No running water, no central heating, no air conditioning. So someone has to draw the water that you want to drink. They have to go to the well, pull it out. If you want to have a shower, you have a bath, basically, because there's not enough water to really 
just constantly stand under that hot stream of water until the water tank runs dry. Imagine having to cut your own trees down, cut the wood, stack cords of wood, make fire with which to heat the house and cook the meals. No paper plates, no plastic utensils to toss in the garbage to be picked up the next day by the garbage service. You say, oh, it's just like camping. (laughs) This is the way most people have lived in history and most people still live today. Many people had domestic help. They had servants, housekeepers, cooks, nannies, farm workers, and many of these servants were people who had nothing themselves and were only too willing to help uh, just to survive. Many people came even to this country um, and were indentured slaves. An indentured slave is somebody that was... uh, sold themselves, basically, uh, to come to this country, and they were given passage on a ship. The ship's captain said, okay, for the cost of the passage to America, you, I will sell you for three years of service or five years of service or something along those lines. And um, in the 17th and 18th century, in American colonies, half of the white immigrants were actually indentured servants. Now, there were slaves as well, who never gained their freedom. But these were young, poor teenagers who wanted free passage to America in exchange. They put themselves into debt, uh, and they worked their way out of debt uh, for a fixed number of years, and then be free to work on their own. Well, today, there's less need, of course, for personal servants, but there are still people who work as nannies, housekeepers, gardeners, and so on. But they're usually part-time or full-time independent contractors. You pay them a fee to cut your lawn. You pay them a fee to take care of your kids or something along those lines. And with changes in culture and society and conveniences and technology, our whole workforce has changed as well. Most people are no longer bond servants, indentured slaves, or... Uh, or slaves at all, but are instead employees. Now, it may feel like you're a slave at work. I think after two months in uh, the Philippines, you may feel like you're a slave at work too, hard. But it may feel like you're a slave at work. The boss makes very heavy demands of you, and you feel like you're <clears throat> trapped. But we are employees. Most bosses are not masters in the same sense that we read here in this passage, um, as in the ownership of the employees, but, but our managers instead. So our culture has changed, but the principles of Scripture remain the same. And we can apply this portion of Scripture to the workplace today. So there are just a few verses, 5 through 9. Verses 5 through 8, we can apply to employees. In one verse, verse 9, we can apply to management. So let's take a look at the context of this passage Um, again. Go back to chapter 5 and verse 18. If you remember a few weeks ago, Noad spoke on this passage, and he mentioned, uh, he emphasized the phrase in verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means that we should confess Um, and put away all known sin in our lives. It means that we should allow the Lord to have total control of every area 
of our lives, surrendering our will, our intellect, our body, our mind, our time, our talents, our treasures to Him, to use as He wishes. It means to let the Word of God fill our hearts and our minds, and it means that we obey what He says. We die to self, and we live for Him. Then it says in this passage that as we are filled with the Spirit of God, our hearts are filled with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, giving praise to the Lord, um, giving thanks to the Lord, and we submit ourselves to one another. So that's the context of this passage, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit directs our steps, our life choices, what we do and why we do those things. And so we've already seen a couple of weeks ago that um, a wife filled with the Holy Spirit is subject to her husband. She submits herself to her husband as Christ, uh, as the church submits to uh, Christ. A husband filled with the Holy Spirit loves his own wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and gives himself for his wife and loves her as he loves his own body. And children filled with the Holy Spirit obey their parents and they honor their parents and fathers filled with the Spirit of God do not provoke their children to wrath. And so all of those things that we've talked about in the last few weeks have to do with the demonstration, what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if in the family these things are not happening, then it's an indication that the wife is not filled with the Holy Spirit, or the husband is not filled with the Holy Spirit, or the children are not filled with the Holy Spirit, the father is not filled with the Holy Spirit, or all of them aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. If these things aren't happening, then there's something wrong. People are not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. They're being controlled by a different spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. So now we come to Ephesians 6, 5, and we begin to see what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the workplace. What does it look like when you go to work on Monday morning filled with the Spirit of God, demonstrating that the Lord is in control of your life? So tomorrow morning, you're going to go back to work, Lord willing. And so you want to put this sermon into practice. Okay, that's the whole goal of a preacher, is that the people who hear the message will begin to put it into practice, put shoe leather on what he said, and uh, makes them feel really good. So, you want to be the most spirit-filled person at the workplace, and so before you leave for work tomorrow morning, you get before the Lord and you confess all known sins in your life. You say, Lord, I've sinned, here's what my sin is, I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, Help me now, Lord, to be filled with the Spirit of God, or fill me with your Spirit, and let me walk in a way that is pleasing to you. Okay, you begin by reading the Scripture. And so, you happen to use the lucky dip method. I don't recommend it, by the way. The lucky dip method is you open the Bible anywhere and say, oh, here's my verse for the day. Okay, don't recommend that. Just consistently read through the Scripture. But you happen to do that today. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. This is what you come across. Therefore... Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Well, that's enough of the verse for the day. I, <clears throat> that's a lot to put into practice in one day. Okay? It says to lay aside all of these things. And you say, Lord, I want to obey you. Okay, this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. You have taught me something this morning. I want to obey you, and I'm going to live this way today 
as I leave here uh, today and go out into the workplace and I rub shoulders with different people, that's the way I want to live because that would mean that I am demonstrating that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, see how your day goes. So on the commute to work, you pray, you ask the Lord to apply this verse to your life at work today. And as soon as you walk into work tomorrow morning, you see that coworker who absolutely drives you nuts. And you have been harboring evil thoughts about that person for months. And now you say, well, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know deep down that God loves that person just like he loved you. And that person has a need for the Savior, just like you do and did. And you silently ask the Lord to change your heart's attitude towards that person. Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. And what your word says is true. And I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just for the moment as I walk into this building today to work, but I I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit all day long. And so, Lord, change my heart. Change me to be like you. And so you let go of your antagonism, your grudges, or your hope for revenge. And you look for ways to do good to that person who has done evil to you. And in doing that, you are following the scripture that says, laying aside all malice. That's what it means. Laying aside all malice. Lord, help me to love that person just like you love that person. Okay my heart's being cleansed a little bit here. You arrive at your desk or your workstation or your whatever it is that you do, wherever it is that you work, okay? You can do your own imagination as I talk. And as you work, you're face-to-face with some form of deceit. You're tempted because of management procedures or because of your own wicked heart to do something wrong, to do something deceitful. You're tempted to do something dishonest, You're tempted to manipulate the records. You're tempted to fudge the budget to show something that really is not true. Perhaps you're tempted to pay a bribe or to withhold a vital piece of information that will change the, um, that, that will hide the fact that some of the parts are flawed. You may jeopardize the sale by being honest or whatever the temptation is in your line of work. I don't know what it will be, but you know what it is. You've been tempted by it before, okay? And you remember that verse that you read this morning, laying aside all deceit. And the battle is raging in your heart. And if I tell the truth and it affects the bottom line of the company, I may lose my Christmas bonus. And if I tell the truth, I may lose my commission, or I may lose my tip, or it may affect the bottom line in somewhere. But if I don't tell the truth, I'm disobeying God, and I cannot enjoy the Spirit-filled life if I lie, laying aside all deceit. So you do the right thing, no matter what the cost to you or the personal consequences to you, and you continue your day filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, you've been witnessing at work as well. And you've been talking to your co-workers about the Lord, and um, people have begun to ask you questions about the Lord. A, co- a co-worker comes to you on your break, of course, <clears throat> in confidence, with the struggle that they're having in their personal life. You know, this uh, gal, she's having uh, trouble with getting wasted on the weekends. She goes out, she has a drinking problem, and uh, she tells you how it's affecting her life. And you begin to tell her 
about the Lord and how the Lord can deliver her from her sins. And just as you get to the good part of the gospel, you're going to tell her about the Lord who can save her. The uh, sales manager comes in and shouts through the door of the office to everybody, we met our sales goals for the month. And let's celebrate at happy hour. Drinks are on me. What do you do? Who's in? You know, you think, well, (laughs) I've worked hard to reach those sales goals. I've reached hard to accomplish this success that we're having. I'm all in. You're a hypocrite, a play actor who pretends to be one thing one minute, and then uh, the real you comes out in moments like this. You may realize right then and there that your natural tendency has always been to go with the crowd. You just kind of float along life's sea, whichever way the mop flops, whichever way the crowd goes, whichever way the fish are swimming, that's the way you're going. You remember the verse you read this morning, laying aside hypocrisy. And for the first time, you realize that God has given you an opportunity to show this hurting coworker that Christ gives victory over sin. Not only sin in her life, but sin in your life too. And you will no longer be drunk with wine, but you will be filled with the Spirit of God. Well, it's been quite a day so far. So you take a break at the water cooler, and the water cooler in most places is Central Gossip USA. And you hear all the rumors and the backstabbing and talking about other co-workers, and for the first time you realize that, wow, I've been part of this scene for way too long. And you remember the verse from this morning, and you realize that what is going on here is pure envy and evil speaking. That's what it is. And the scripture that now fills your heart and your mind says, laying aside envy and all evil speaking. And you say, Lord, fill me with your love instead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And let no unwholesome word proceed from these lips. Set a guard, O Lord, over my lips. Because I want to here and now be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you put this verse into practice, this one verse... In one day, the Lord reminds you of yet another verse you've memorized so many years ago. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You say, Lord, that's what I want to do. Now we look at how being filled with the Spirit affects your relationship with your boss, your supervisor. You're talking about the people. Now we're talking about your boss. That's what we have here in this passage. Whoever is in authority over you at work, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. When you go to work, you are paid for eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours, depending on what your work structure is like. And you should put in a full day's work for a full day's pay. Simple as that. If you're working, put in the time. Thank God you have a job. Many people don't. 
Some of you may be on commission or on salary, but the principle is the same. You work hard for your employer. You excel as an employee. Your employer has certain expectations of you, and if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will fulfill those expectations. As long as they are not asking you to do something illegal or immoral, you should be able to fulfill your obligations. Like it or not, they are your masters according to the flesh. That simply means that their little kingdom, their little domain, their little uh, um, castle is right there at that place. That's their domain. That's where they rule. And you're under them. And so you submit to the leadership that God has placed over you. But that's all. They don't control your afterlife. They don't control what you do outside of work. They're not responsible for you spiritually. They are as far as your flesh is concerned for those 40 hours a week or whatever it is that you put in. But, uh, but not anything beyond that. Work hard for your employee, uh, employer um, during the time that you're there. Serve them with fear and trembling, it says. <laughs> well, let me refer you to a different verse that uh, may explain this. In Romans 13, 7, it says, Render therefore to all their due. He's talking about kings and rulers and police officers and all of the rest. And he says, Render to, to all their due Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to, to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. If they're your boss, recognize it, honor them, and um, their authority over you. It's interesting to note this, that God places over us authorities, whether they be in the home, you have a father or a husband, whether they be in society, you have judges, uh, you have presidents, you have kings. Um, in, the, in the workplace, it's the same thing. There's a chain of command. And God has this in all of society. And we are to submit to those who are in authority over us. In the same way, he says, as you would submit to Christ. And so as you submit to those who are your boss or your supervisor or managers, whatever, you're really saying, I see past the one who's barking out the orders to the one who really is my master, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that the Lord has control even over what this guy says to me. And I am willing to submit to Christ. And in doing that, I submit to my boss quite easily. Paul kicks it up a notch when he says that we are to obey our masters or supervisors or whatever with sincerity of heart as you would obey Christ. Let me ask you this. Would you do anything different at work if Jesus Christ were your boss? You shouldn't, because he is. He is the one who is the ultimate authority in your workplace. Would it change anything in the way you perform your work if you knew he were watching you? Well, guess what? He is. The word sincerity has a lot to do with the way you work. We should be working with the idea. The word actually... It's, it was interesting. I thought it just meant to be, you know, true or honest or whatever. But it actually has um, a, a deeper meaning to it. It really means that we are to work in such a way that we are benefiting our boss. That's what it means. That's an interesting thing. I think Eric touched on this uh, months ago when he talked about um, the way he works at his, at his workplace. The idea is this. God has placed over you a boss a supervisor, a manager, whatever. 
You should do everything in your power as you work there to make him or her successful. That's your goal. Make your boss successful. Guess what? You'll be successful too. You work hard serving that boss to make them a success, and it'll go well with you. Sincerity, that's what it means. A single, pure desire to make him or her succeed. And if that's the way you work at your job, um, I think you will succeed. But the, the question is, according to this passage here, it says be obedient. he's really making commands to be obedient, with fear and trembling and so on. The reason this is in the scripture is because so many of us, when it comes to the workplace, um, have the attitude that the world has. There seems to be a conflict between management and employees. And there seems to be headbutting all the time between the two sides. They're there, we're here, and nothing shall come, and, and, and nothing can bring us together. And th- that whole attitude in the workplace, just, it, it drives me nuts just reading about it, seeing it. And for that reason, I don't work in the workplace. <laughs> I have a better boss. And so I ask you the question. I told the story at the beginning about the waiter who spat in the lunch of the people that were frustrating him. And I want to ask you the question, is that your attitude towards those who are in authority over you, spitting in their lunch? Now, you may not literally spit in their lunch. I hope you don't. But is that the attitude that you have in the workplace? As you go to work and you have bosses over you and supervisors and management, do you have an in for them, that you want to get even with them or to retaliate against them. That's what spitting in the lunch is all about. In Ephesians 6, uh, verse 6, it says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Someone said that in manufacturing, it isn't what is expected that gets done, it's what is inspected that gets done. And it's true. A lot of times people kick it up a notch if they think their work is going to be inspected. They should be doing that because it's, they should be doing it all the time for everything because it's expected. Does your production slow down when your boss is on vacation or your boss has gone out of the office? Did you kind of just go, oh, I can relax now and not do anything back to the computer games again? Okay. Um, so I have a picture. Uh, can you guys throw that picture up for me? Is it there? Okay. Does anybody recognize this dog, by the way? Benji? Yeah, the, na- the name of the dog is Higgins, but what we, we know this dog by the name Benji. Okay, the real name of the dog is, is Higgins, but we'll call him Benji for good measure here. I want to tell you about this dog. This dog... Um, what does it look like to you, by the way? What kind of a dog? A mutt. It's exactly what it is. Do you know where this mutt was found? Yeah, in a dog shelter. This dog was ready to be disposed of. And uh, there was a man um, who is famous in Hollywood for his um, uh, training of animals. His name was Frank Inn. And Frank Inn found this dog in a shelter and uh, decided to take it and to begin training it. This dog is known in, the, in Hollywood as the Tom Hanks of animal actors. 
with an acting range wider than that of many human professionals. He is known for playing the key role in the film Benji. He had a regular role on the CBS television comedy Petticoat Junction. Do you remember that show way back when? That was, he was the same dog in that show. And he appeared in other movies and in television programs. He was trained by Frank Inn. He also, this is the same guy that trained animals on the Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, and all those old shows that all of us old guys remember and none of the young kids even know about. Frank Inn considered Higgins to be his best pupil ever. And uh, he was such a, although Higgins could do over a hundred tricks, he was much more than simply a well-trained dog. He could show emotions on cue, acting afraid, acting interested, or as bored as could be. Whatever was needed, Higgins could do. He could sneeze or yawn on cue. He could do romantic comedy, or he could go full tilt as Rambo required. He was the starring role in, um, in Benjing and in many other films that we know about. As I looked at this, I was actually looking up um, animal um, actors and actresses, or whatever they want to call them, animal actors in Hollywood and so on. And uh, we were in um, um, Universal Studios uh, about a, a couple of months ago, Krista and I were, and we saw an animal show, and it's absolutely incredible to me the, the things that these animals can do. And one of the things that struck me is that they had a, a, a person who was the, um, the, the person responsible for the show, I forget what you call him now, but kind of the, the um, guy telling you what's going to happen. He wasn't the trainer. He was just an actor or, or just somebody telling you about the events that were going to take place in the show. And then the trainer was off to the side. And so this guy would say something like, bark, and the dog would just look at him. And the dog would look over at the master, and the master might do something like this, you know, a little finger movement or something like that, and the dog would go, woo, woo, you know. And it was really incredible. But I thought about this as an illustration for today. In films, you'll often see animals um, in the films itself, and the animal will do amazing things. And you'll see actors or actresses, and they will make commands to the dog, and it'll look like the dog is actually doing the things that the, the actor or actress has said. The dog's not even paying attention to them. What the animal is doing is he's paying attention to the one who's behind the actor or actress off camera. You don't see the trainer on camera. And the trainer is just giving hand signals or some kind of a mouth signal or some, something that the dog knows what he's supposed to do. And he does it because... The, the real master is giving the orders. And I want you to think about that at the workplace. You have a boss who's the actor. You have a boss who's the actress. She's the star of the show at your workplace. And she's barking out or he's barking out orders at you. And he's telling you or she's telling you what to do and to say. But if you're like Benji, if you're like Higgins, you look past the boss to the one who is really your master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look for his signals. You look for what he wants you to do. And you will follow what your boss has said to do. 
they're, they're mouthing the words, but you're really looking to the Lord for your direction. That is being filled with the Spirit in the workplace. You do it for Christ's sake because he ultimately is your Lord and Master. When you go to work tomorrow, I want you to think about how you perform your work. There were three men one day who were working on a large building project, and someone asked them, what are you guys doing? And one said, I'm mixing mortar. The second man said, I'm, I'm helping put up this great stone wall. And the third one said, I am building a cathedral for the glory of God. When you go to work tomorrow, build a cathedral for the glory of God in your workplace. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. These three men could have just as well been working in a car factory or behind the counter or serving tables or whatever legitimate product or service a man or woman might provide. Whatever your job is, do all for the glory of God. Well, Paul finally turns to the masters. It's about time. And the supervisor, the management. And he says in verse 9, And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. It's interesting that there are four verses for employees and one verse for employers. However, the verse tells Christian employers to refer back to the previous verses. Did you notice that? (laughs) You also do these things. In other words, you be filled with the Spirit too. You remember that you have a master too, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian employer, you remember that he is over you. Can I ask you a question? If you're a manager, an owner, boss, or some kind of supervisory capacity at work, do you want the Lord to be fair with you? Then you be fair with those under you. Do you want to be rewarded for your service to the Lord? then you reward those who work for you uh, in their service for you. The two biggest concern employees have are what? Fair working conditions and wages. Those are the two things, always always on the top of the complaint list. How are you addressing those two issues in the workplace? Do you realize that as a Christian business owner, a Christian manager, a Christian supervisor, that you are representing the Lord to your employees in all that you do and say, and those who you manage? And if the Lord treated you as you treat them, how well would it go for you? Good question. If we don't pay a fair wage, for example, remember that those who are your workers will cry out to the Lord. And he will plead their cause and hold you accountable. For we read in James 5, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of Sabaoth. There are often promises made by management, but not kept. And the Lord of hosts, the Lord God omnipotent, takes sides with those who are oppressed, and he will help them. He will avenge them and judge what is right. And so this morning, that is the conclusion of the message. Be filled with the Holy Spirit as an employee 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit as an employer. It'll change your life completely in the workplace. Let's pray. Lord, we cry out to you that you might help us as those who work and labor and uh, do something productive with our time to uh, serve others, that, Lord, you might help us to be like this dog that we talked about, looking beyond the commands of the boss over us, the supervisor over us, and seeing that, Lord, you are really our master. You are the one who is really giving us the signals, the commands, the direction. And we pray that we might, with all of our hearts, serve you gladly in the workplace. And Lord, for those of us who have been given responsibility of managing other people, whether as managers, supervisors, owners, or what have you, Lord, we pray that we might be like the Lord Jesus Christ, giving preference to those who are um, uh, serving, uh, serving us or serving in some capacity uh, for us. Lord, we pray that you might help us to love them as Christ loved the church and that all of us, Lord, might be filled with the Holy Spirit and that it would revolutionize our workplaces. In Jesus' name, amen.